Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. Governor Tim Walz put his signature on the bills that make up his first two-year budget. One of the bills that he signed into law, he did so in a public forum. It pours more money into E-12 education. Districts will see a 2% funding increase over each of the next two years, along with more money for special education and school safety. My first budget bill of being governor of Minnesota is now law. It's the governor's first budget bill, but it's a big one. The E through 12 education budget represents just over 40% of the total two-year state budget that goes to school districts across the state. I think um, for a budget that, that was a compromise budget amongst all of us, my hope is, is that this stabilizes us, that allows them to, to move forward. Education funding will total more than $20 billion over the next two years, a $543 million increase over current spending. It includes a $91 million increase for special education and $30 million for school safety. Education is a nonpartisan issue. Republican Senate Education Committee Chair Carla Nelson says increasing per-student funding is important, but so is funding things like school safety. I do think it's a success, but also it's not just the money. It's how the money's being used. It's certainly a success in the eyes of St. Paul School Superintendent Joe Gothard. The bill also preserves funding for 4,000 pre-kindergarten students, including 266 in St. Paul. Overall, new state funding for St. Paul will erase the district's projected $3.1 million deficit. It's going to close our deficit. So with the additional uh, voluntary pre-K uh, dollars, the special education cross-subsidy and two and two, we will not have a deficit. And that's obviously good news for parents of students in the St. Paul School District. There should be similar stories in most other school districts across the state. We have put a link at KSTP.com where you can search the funding for your own individual school district. And we are joined today by Governor Tim Walls to talk more about the budget and his review of the legislative session. Governor, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Tom. I know you had a busy last couple of weeks yeah. of the session as they always uh, come down to crunch time. That's right. A newspaper headline a couple of days after the session ended uh, essentially declared you the winner uh, of this legislative session. Do you consider yourself the winner or was it more of a draw? Yeah, well, it, it's never about the political wins. I, I would say the winner was Minnesota. We came together and proved that divided government could work. Uh, we focused on those priorities that I talked about and I would argue that the legislators talked about, protecting health care for Minnesotans, making sure education funding, as you heard, is, is adequate, and then doing the things that our communities need to make sure that they're thriving, you know, from, from War Road down to Winona. And so I think this session uh, proved amongst a backdrop of a lot of dysfunction in politics that, that we could do it. Minnesota wins. Uh, I proposed things that didn't get in here, but things like transportation, I didn't propose those based on ideology. I proposed them based on need. Uh, we'll come back at some of those things. Now, you did, of course, get one of the most important priorities was keeping the health care provider tax, at least yeah. most of it, in place because of the health care that that helps provide. But there is a list of things you didn't get, uh, transportation uh, tax increases, no public health care option, no bonding bill, no paid family leave. Uh, were those things just deemed to be impossible given opposition from the Republican Senate? Yeah, I think that they had made it clear that those were not things they were willing to compromise on. Uh, I certainly fought hard for them. I think they're things that Minnesotans will certainly continue to ask for. Um, but again, in divided government, uh, you're right. The, the provider tax that provided millions of Minnesotans and 40% of our children with health care and underpins that whole system was critical. This education funding that we put in place. And, and again, 
getting it done in a manner that I think Minnesotans want to see us do. So those things are still priorities. Uh, I kind of look at this, the football coach and me, we, we put some points on the board in the first quarter. We still got more time. Now let's talk a little bit about the, the process and the tribunal as it became uh, known, which is yeah. what was not a complimentary term yeah. the way many lawmakers were using it. That was essentially uh, you, DFL House Speaker Melissa Hortman, and Republican uh, Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka. You were in and out of uh, meetings, as we see here in these darkened hallways of the yeah. Capitol. Not a lot of transparency after the first couple of days, everything going on uh, behind uh, closed doors. I want to get your uh, thoughts on that in a moment, but first I want you to hear what Senator Gazelka said yeah. earlier this week and then have you react to that as well. Some of the agreements between the governor, myself, and the speaker, uh, you had to take a risk and, you know, he had to give up on, on the gas tax. We had to accept a, a portion of the provider tax. That, you know, I don't know how you could have done that in a public setting. I mean, you had to take some risks privately first and so we're going to try to be as transparent as we can, but it really is hard at certain points of negotiation. All fair points, except aren't you elected to take risks and make tough decisions, even if they're in public? Yeah, I agree with the majority leader. Let me be clear about this. This dysfunction and the inability to compromise has taken over politics across the country. You see it in D.C. Wisconsin is, is basically in full shutdown. I think they don't even talk. Um, so what had to happen was, and it wasn't as you saw walking into that room where other senators, we were bringing people in, uh, the conference committees broke down. And I said this all along. I was going to be the first governor in Minnesota history. The Senate wasn't even going to hear my budget bill. Well, how are we going to reach a compromise if it was never debated? So what ended up happening was the conference committee process that would stymie during the session ended up happening there. And I think the senator's right. It's like a Rubik's Cube. Like when you give something, it was a global deal. If at that moment you froze it in time with what you're willing to give on, not looking at where other things were going to go, it made it very difficult to get there. I certainly believe we can do better. I would encourage the legislature to really, really think about a full and open. Why didn't we vote on some of these things that were controversial? Well, and that was the point I was uh, want to get back to is that you're elected to make tough decisions yes. and take risks if necessary. So why not do more of that? in public. If I were them, I certainly would. I was elected and I ran on... Well, you ended up as part of the process, too, where yes. it was... Did you have to agree to that grudgingly? Yeah, the job... Of, I, my job was to get it done. I said that I, I pride myself on being someone who's effective getting things done. At that point, it was broken. We had conference committees coming in there that were quibbling about things that should have been fixed in February, and at that point in time, it took us setting them at the table, and these things were happening, and saying, meet your compromises now, and we're going to finish this. Now, it gets messy, of course, when things are done in secret, when they're done in the middle of the night. One of the provisions, I'm sure there will be others we'll learn about in the coming days, an insulin provision was dropped that was very important to a family that lost uh, a son because he couldn't afford uh, his insulin. Uh, that family and many other families like them in Minnesota are very disappointed. Is that an example of how this process gets so messy and then you're looking at people who end up paying the price for it? Yeah, them? well, that problem started long before. We had a Republican senator say, if you can't do it, just go to the emergency room to get your uh, insulin. I was speaking out on that months before. I made it clear that I wanted it in this deal. Uh, there wasn't an appetite to try and do it. But yeah, there's many of those things, those provisions that never got there. I think the biggest thing, again, is we're going to find some of those things. We're going to continue to talk about them. But if you remember, we got tax conformity done. That wasn't even talked about. We got the opioid bill done. We got hands-free done. We got senior uh, abuse work done. And we got all the budgets done. And we had a tax bill that in the Senate um, was a, a, and an education bill that was unanimously voted on. So I, you, I'm disappointed. But 
I think it's part of starting to trust one another and bring these things into the light of the day. I'm going to call out on this case. Uh, these conference committees, especially in the Senate, they need to do their work. They need to have experts come in. Why didn't they hold a hearing on this and why didn't they bring it forward? Because I asked in end of session negotiations, bring it to me, I'll sign it into law. And of course, you got a middle income tax cut, too, that uh, had not happened in 20 years uh, in the state of Minnesota. Did the final deal come down uh, to trading transportation funding to keep the health care provider tax? I mean, was that ultimately what broke the law? Yeah, it was part of the bigger one. And I don't know for whatever reason. And, and transportation funding is constitutionally dedicated to roads and bridges. And, and I've just said, bring me a better idea because that one's not going to go away. Um, but it did make of what was, you know, what people wanted. I think the thing that people need to recognize it and frustrated, I heard the minority in the House complaining they weren't included enough. Now, keep in mind, the first time in 20 years we've had a rate cut on income tax for middle-class people in Minnesota. First time in 20 years, I proudly, as the governor, signed that into law. I never got a single Republican vote for that at the end. And so I'm not quite certain on how we're supposed to compromise and what we were trading. Certainly there were things that I was trading, but I never got a single vote for it. Why was the decision made to exclude the minority leaders, uh, Tom Bach in the Senate, Kurt Dowd in the House until the very end? Did that maybe factor into why there was no bonding bill? You need votes from the minority to get the supermajority. Yeah, I can't speak for why. That, that's certainly the one place where the minority has leverage. It makes no sense to me that you wouldn't do capital investments at a time you could get interest rates cheaper. And But and, had they been included in the talks, might that have happened? Uh, I would ask this, that you have a middle-class tax cut, income tax cut, and the minority didn't provide a single vote. So you can make your own decision on that. No, I don't think it would have made a whole lot of difference. I think their goal there was, is, as they stated, um, to stop an agenda that I put forward for Minnesota. And that's their right. But my job still has to be to get the job done, which we did. Final thing, I know it's early to talk about the 2020 session, but it's coming up in February, after all. Yeah. But will you focus on the gas tax again next se session? Will you go after uh, gun control, other issues that did not pass this year? Well, certainly I focused on education, health care, and community prosperity. We got those things. These are issues that I think uh, gun safety, those things will have to come up. Again, I didn't focus on a transportation package out of ideology. I focused out of need. Um, over the next 18 months, I'll just ask people, look at the potholes in the roads, look at the backdrop. Do you want something done? And I would ask the Republican leadership who said no, provide something to me. I'll work with you. So that's likely to come up again in the next session? I think transportation will. Uh, I certainly... Uh, Including the gas tax? Uh, I can't tell you for sure. I mean, I, I presented it. They, they weren't interested in that. It's now their responsibility to come up with something. Uh, I don't know how they're going to do it because 49 other states use the gas tax. 26 have increased it, all under, many of them under Republican leadership. They'll have to come back to me because I, I made my case. They said no. Now we'll see. All right. Governor Tim Walz, I know it's been a long legislative session. You're first. Mm -hmm. And uh, best of luck to you uh, between now and the next session. No, thank Governor Tom. Tim Walz, thanks for being here. Up next, we'll have the chairs from Minnesota's political parties in studio, the major, two of the major political parties. Jennifer Carnahan and Ken Martin will give us their review of the legislative session and look ahead to the 2020 elections. Welcome back. We're joined now by the chairs of two of Minnesota's major political parties, Ken Martin of the Minnesota DFL and Jennifer Carnahan of the Republican Party of Minnesota. Thank you both for being here. I realize we're not even quite to the midway point of 2019, but it's never too soon to look ahead uh, to 2020. Uh, thank you both for being here. And Jennifer, let me start with you. After the results of this legislative session, is this going to have much of an impact on the very important legislative races that are coming up 
in 2020? And is anyone even going to remember this session by fall of 2020? You know, I think that there's a lot that can change and happen between now and 2020 with another legislative session approaching us in 2020. I mean, there are a lot of positive things that Republicans can tout, um, like preventing the gas tax and, you know, having um, the income tax uh, rate reduction, the first one in 20 years. So there are a lot of positive things that came out of this session, even with divided government. And Democrats are going to paint this differently, I'm sure, and say, well, look at all the the good things they stood in the way of. Well, look, uh, here's what I would say. The Star Tribune said it accurately that you know, this was a huge win for Tim Walls and the DFL. We campaigned on making sure we increased education funding. We campaigned on protecting uh, our health care system in this state. And we campaigned on making sure that our communities throughout the state were prospering. Governor Walls, Speaker Hortman delivered on that promise. I expect, of course, uh, many of the things that didn't get accomplished this year to be brought back up next year. And hopefully we'll get a chance to address those. Was it a win for Governor Walls? I actually think that the Republicans did a great job, again, with divided government and having the minority in the state house and having the majority in the Senate. We stood strong for things that are important to Minnesotans. You know, the gas tax, people can breeze over it. But if you think about it, think of the burden that would place on families, middle-income, middle-class families. I think about myself. I own a business in Nisswa. Would I be able to, would I be burdened by having to drive up north every weekend, having to run my business? So there are a lot of things in there that Republicans stood strong for. And also, Republicans were the ones that stood up for and fought back against to preserve the funding for our long-term uh, and aging populations, to make sure that our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents are taken care of when Democrats wanted to make a cut there, and we prevented a billion, you know, multi-billion dollar budget increase that the Democrats were looking for when there's already a surplus in our government. How many resources are, is the DFL party prepared to put into trying to win the Senate back from Republicans and, and hold on well, to Well, we'll raise and spend as much as it takes. And as you remember from the last election cycle, we outraised the Republican Party by close to 15 to 1 margin. We were well resourced. We had the largest campaign we've ever had in Minnesota, over 760 people on the ground, 43 offices around the state. And I expect that Minnesota will be a battleground in the 2020 elections, particularly on the presidential level, meaning that both sides will have significant resources here. We've already seen the Republicans uh, put boots on the ground here. The DFL is doing the same thing. These campaigns are starting, unfortunately, earlier and earlier, and we expect to be well-resourced. I was just going to ask you about that because in addition to the legislative races, a uh, statewide race, uh, Tina Smith's Senate seat uh, will be up. She's running again just two years uh, later. And then you have uh, President Trump who has kind of put a bullseye on Minnesota saying uh, he almost won it in 16 and he wants to try to win it this time, he, he said in 16, if he'd been here one more time, he thinks he might have won it. There's a lot of people who agree with him. And he's been back three times since. I mean, President Trump came within one and a half points of winning our state and won 78 of Minnesota's 87 counties. And that was with virtually no national investment into Minnesota. Minnesota will be one of the top five targeted states on the Republican side this upcoming election cycle. We are motivated. We are encouraged. Our voters out there stand behind the president. And we're going to make sure we deliver this state to him in November of 2020 and also flip the congressional majority, flip the congressional to a majority for Republicans. We have huge opportunities in the 7th Congressional District. We flipped CDs 1 and 8 this past cycle. So I think the sky is the limit. Will we be targeted by national Democrats as well? Well, absolutely. And uh, this is one area where both Jennifer and I do agree on is that Minnesota will be in the crosshairs. Uh, President Trump and Brad Parscale, his campaign manager, seem to be obsessed with uh, flipping Minnesota. There's no doubt uh, that they're going to target this. You see uh, this with the visits already in the last year alone. President Trump's been here three times. We expect many more visits by him and, of course, the Democratic candidates. And once we have a nominee, I expect Minnesota will be one of the top targets in the nation. I will say this. 
So the reality is, is uh, 2016 will be nothing like 2020. If uh, Jennifer and the, and the Republicans need to look at, at what happened in 2018 here in Minnesota, where DFLers swept every statewide office, we won the majority in the House by wide margins, we flipped CD2 and CD3. Democrats are on the march here, and we're going to win in 2020. But you lost the first district that Governor Walls used to hold. Uh, are you recruiting a candidate for that race? We are, and I, I, I expect... Same one as last Well, time. you know, I, I certainly hope that Dan would consider, and I've been twisting his arm a lot. He hasn't decided yet. Of course, uh, you know, I know Jennifer's got a personal interest in making sure that her husband uh, returns to Congress, uh, but we're going to make sure that uh, he is here, spend a little bit more time uh, with Jennifer at home, so... <laughs> and, and in the second and third, you've got Eric Paulson, who lost a seat, Jason Lewis. Uh, are you lining up candidates to run in those races against Dean Phillips and Angie Craig? Absolutely. You know, Dean Phillips and Angie Craig are vulnerable. What happened in 2018, yes, Republicans didn't do as well as we wanted to do in this state, but what happened in Minnesota was not unique. It happened all over the country, even in deep red states where Republicans held suburban seats. It was just one of those wave elections. And quite frankly, in a state that has high split ticket voting, we just didn't see that happen. And so we are confident 2020 will move in a different direction. Will Eric Paulson or Jason Lewis run again? You know, remains to be seen. Finally, Colin Peterson, uh, his seat up in the 7th, if he ever decides to retire, is going to be ripe for Republicans. Is he going to run again? It certainly seems like that. He's uh, you know, raising lots of money. He's m marching in parades already, planning his summer schedule. Uh, you know, He likes to be the chair of the Agriculture Committee. I can't uh, imagine him retiring now. All right, Ken Martin, Jennifer Carnahan, thanks for being here. We've got a lot of time to talk about the 2020 elections. It's going to be fun. Thank Absolutely. you both for being here. Up next, Catherine Tanucci and Brian McClung will be here for political analysis. We'll be back in two minutes. Governor Walls began signing the new state budget into law this week. Despite some criticism of the secret process in the budget talks and the need for a special session, he deemed the session a success just a few minutes ago and also at a bill signing on Thursday. It's our quote of the week. This is really something special. We proved to the rest of the country that we could come together as one of the nation's few divided governments, and we could come together first and foremost and put Minnesota's values first. Joining me now for political analysis, Brian McClung and Catherine Tanucci. Thank you both for being here. Brian, let me start with you. Was this session successful for the governor? Well, I think there was enough for each side to declare a, at least a partial victory. And for the governor, he got more education spending. He got the health care provider tax so he can you know, keep those health care programs going. He got some you know, other initiatives that he was looking for, opioid legislation, which I think both sides are going to celebrate, and that's success from the session. Republicans got the first income tax cut in 20 years. Just a few minutes ago, uh, Governor Walls was also celebrating that tax cut, so now I guess everybody's for those tax cuts. But they had a business uh, property tax cut, Social Security tax cut. So Republicans got what they wanted, even though they were one out of three legs of that stool. And Governor Walls had some accomplishments as well. Was it pretty much a draw? There, there were good things that happened for Minnesotans in that, as Brian said, that each party can, can take credit for and claim victory and, and say that good things happen. Um, I think the stakes were really high, though, and I'm not sure that the session met a lot of the expectations that certainly a lot of advocates and a lot of uh, you know, voters who, who were enthusiastic about a new governor and a new legislature had really high expectations, especially going into the session with a budget surplus. 
of course, it's really difficult to meet everyone's high hopes uh, when, in, under those circumstances. Because after an election, sometimes the winner will have unrealistic expectations, like thinking they're going to get the health care public uh, option, uh, transportation taxes, all of those things. That was a tall hill to climb, wasn't it? Not necessarily unrealistic, certainly challenging, especially with divided government. And then I think, I think the question that will be before voters in the next election cycle, as always, is do you want more of this, a little bit of compromise, mostly status quo budget, not, you know, not taking us backwards, but not reaching the heights that a lot of people hope for? Or do you want to see a one-party control in St. Paul? Well, we hear a lot about uh, divided government, Brian, and usually it's with negative connotations. But you could argue a divided government is the best form of government because there's uh, checks and balances. Well, right. And it kind of kept things down in the middle of the road, ultimately. And some of those, you know, more extreme proposals from the right or the left were left uh, aside at the end of this legislative session. So it did end up having the impact of, of having a budget that largely continues what was happening right now with a few tweaks here or there. It was not a big reform year. There weren't a lot of major changes to the state budget or to policy issues, certainly. And But you do see people like, or organizations like Education Minnesota, who was typically one of the governor's biggest allies, attacking him and saying that education funding wasn't enough. So you, we will see those activist groups out there looking for more in 2020 and beyond. Just 30 seconds left. You've been through this with Governor Dayton, you with Governor Polanyi. Uh, as you look at this, is anybody going to remember this session when it's uh, in 2020, when it comes to election time? They will be reminded, people, voters will be reminded with the campaign lit that they'll see come, come the time, but certainly a lot can happen between now and then. I think the 2020 election is going to be very nationalized with President Trump running for re-election. And so You'll hear some of this. You'll get direct mail pieces. You'll get phone calls on what happened at the state capitol. But ultimately, I think the factors in play in the 2020 election are much larger than what happened at this legislative session. I think there's plenty of uh, brochure material from this session that could last for another year or two. Uh, Brian and Catherine, thanks for being here. Up next, Jimmy Kimmel gives Senator Amy Klobuchar some advice on her presidential campaign. One of these rallies. Senator Amy Klobuchar made her first late-night television appearance with Jimmy Kimmel this week here on ABC since launching her bid for president. Kimmel gave her a few campaign slogan ideas to consider. So um, this one play, is play on your last name. Okay. Flow with the flow. Okay, that is almost as good as my um, elementary school campaign, which was all the way with Amy K. Okay. Yeah, I don't Even think that's you, better than yeah, Amy. Well, not her. really. It has all kinds it of. It does problems. have a sexual connotation. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, here's a red hat. Uh -huh. When they go clo, we go Bouchard. Okay. Those are really helpful. That's another sticker. And the sticker. red hat shows, oh, you know, okay. reaching out, red areas. Here we go. Yes. It's Cloberin time. Okay. That's pretty good. I like that one. We have that full interview posted on the At Issue page at KSTP.com. And that is all the time we have for now. We hope to see you back here again next week for another edition of At Issue.